Christchurch, New Malden, Sunday the 5th of March 2023, 9.30 service. Tim Davis speaking in the series, Parables in Luke, The Great Banquet. I think when um, people talk about Jesus' ministry, it's easy to focus on his miracles. Um, you know, Jesus performed some amazing feats in his life things that the world had never seen and or hadn't really seen since. Um, but one of the most, ex- I think, really interesting, exciting aspects of Jesus' ministry was his teaching style. Um, some of his teaching was revolutionary and provocative because it was so direct and succinct. You know, when you think of the message of the Beatitudes, just what a revolutionary series of sayings that would have been to people. Or the way he would deflect the Pharisees' attempts to ensnare him in some controversy and instead pose a damning question back at them, revealing the true meaning of what it meant to worship God and also exposing their hypocrisy at the same time. But it's perhaps the way that Jesus taught in parables and used them that is most distinctive about his ministry. You know, like any good teacher, Jesus would vary his teaching style depending on the audience and the subject matter. Um, There are 37 parables of Jesus recorded across the four Gospels, or three in fact. Um, 27 of these appear in Luke, uh, 14 of them exclusively. But what is a parable? Um, I was thinking at the start of this, we can sort of have a little educational thing. Like, can you explain what the difference is between a parable, a metaphor, a simile, an analogy? Uh, and then I'd just like to bore myself and also not understand it either. So, well, essentially, I'm not going to bother that. But a parable is basically, look it up when you get home if you need to. Um, a parable is essentially a short story that is used to illustrate an instructive lesson or principle. And Jesus often used them to help those around him to those who were listening to what he was saying, to get an understanding of the kingdom of God. He was saying the kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of God may well have been this kind of strange concept to the people listening to him. But to help me grasp the idea of what was required to gain entry, as it were, um, Jesus used these metaphorical analogies, these parables, to put into language... um, that could be easier to understand and visualize what Jesus was describing and talking about. And that's what today's talk is sort of about, the parable of the great banquet. Uh, And in this parable, we see Jesus laying out the reality of who would be welcomed into the kingdom of God. Uh, Now, the occasion at which Jesus taught this parable, as we heard in the reading, uh, was at this dinner at a prominent Pharisee's house, now, despite Jesus generally, we assume, like, not having you know, much of a kind word to say about the Pharisees, he actually dined at their houses you know, a few times in the Bible. Um, perhaps as, like, you know, as a fellow teacher, a rabbi, they may well have in, like, invited Jesus, wanting to listen to him, check him out, perhaps pit themselves against him in a contest of who could memorize the law and interpret it the best. But on this occasion, it seems to be very much just, you know, a social event, the prominent rabbi inviting all those around him. And Jesus starts to notice uh, earlier on in the passage, before uh, before the passage we heard, that he sees these numerous guests starting to jockey for position around the table, trying to put themselves in the most prominent place, near the host and places. 
And Jesus, when he sees this scene behind, in front of him, he uses it as an opportunity to teach those before him about the need not to try and elevate themselves, but to humble themselves and to care for society's outcasts. He tells them, you know, when you host a dinner such as this one, don't just invite the people who will repay you in kind, you know, your friends, your family, the wealthy, uh, or for those you, whom you seek to gain favour with. No, instead, you should be inviting the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, because if you do that, you will be truly blessed. Although these people can't ever repay you the favour, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. The kingdom of God will be yours. I can imagine the kind of awkward silence that might have followed that when Jesus spoke those words. And then one of the guests there, perhaps to break the silence, pipes up with their saying, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. Now, it's not explicitly stated in the Bible why this particular guest said those words, but I think he might have been doing it to want to rapidly move on from this uncomfortable lesson that Jesus had delivered. He might have been thinking to himself, you know, none of us here are actually going to go out and invite a lame beggar to dinner, are we? Come on, you know, I need to get the vibe up a bit. This party's kind of been killed. Uh, let's not spoil the party vibe. So I think he tries to make everyone feel happy again, saying, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. Blessed are us, God's chosen ones. We're going to sit at the feast of the kingdom of God. We are truly blessed. Cheers. Way to go in missing the point. So Jesus realizes he needs to tell a more challenging parable. Um, chapters 14 to chapters 19 in Luke's gospel contain a series of events and teachings of Jesus where we see God redefining um, who his people are. Since those who are confident that they were automatically in God's kingdom will not, in fact, be a part of it unless they respond to Jesus and the message of the gospel. Jesus tells this parable in response to that man's comments about those who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. The speaker assumed that he and his esteemed fellow diners would be there. But would they? Jesus' point in this parable is that the guest list for the kingdom will look a lot different than those dinner guests imagine. He tells the story of a great banquet being prepared and the host had sent out many invites. And it was customary then that you'd send out an invite to a great feast well in advance so people know about it. But the actual time of the banquet would, of course, depend on when everything was ready. Everything that had to be prepared was finally all put together. It was perfect. And that then, and only then, would the host send his servants out to gather all of the invited guests. And you'd have thought they'd be excited. This has been in their diary for days, weeks, months maybe. And yet one by one, they all give an excuse as to why they suddenly can't attend. I've just bought a field. I've just bought some oxen. I've just got married. Now these may seem like sort of somewhat bizarre excuses, um, and maybe even justifiable ones. Uh, but actually, these, these three scenarios would have made sense to the guests at the dinner. They were Pharisees. They knew the Bible. It reminded them of the reasons given in Deuteronomy chapter 20 for why a man could be excused from military service. Now, has he 
built a new house, not left in it, let him go home. Has he planted a vineyard, yet not been able to enjoy it? Let him go home and do that first of all. Has he just got married? Well, let him go home and enjoy being married. Don't send him to die in battle, first of all. These are all, you know, um, important activities necessary to maintain a civil life. So why is Jesus ripping on them? Well, I've bought a field and I must go and see it. Who buys a field without checking it out first of all? Would you buy a house without actually going and looking around? No. I've just bought some oxen. I've got to go and try them out. Would you go and buy a car without having a test drive? So would you buy an oxen and not even check them out to see if, were they lame, diseased, needing to be destroyed? I've just got married. Congratulations. But why would you accept an invite to an event when you know it's in the day that you're getting married? All of the guests had accepted the invitation to the banquet. The host had arranged all the food, got everything prepared, was ready to welcome them in. And now, suddenly, the guests are cancelling at the last minute with fairly flimsy excuses when you think about it. Of course, in this parable, Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God. And the original invitation was to all the Jewish people. But they were the ones rejecting God's invitation by their rejection of Jesus. Jesus was trying to tell them that he was here to collect them for God's celebration. But they were refusing him. In their stead, he was going to fill the kingdom with the people the Pharisees didn't think belonged. In our lives, we can easily let ourselves just get distracted and ignore the big things in life. As my wife knows, I'm a dreadful procrastinator when it comes to things like you know, writing sermons. Um, and it may be of some small comfort to her that know that this isn't anything that necessarily happened as soon as you got married. It probably won't be of any comfort to her. Uh, but anyway, I can imagine a typical sort of young, uh, you know, I was a, bit, a few years younger and I'm still living at my parents' house post-university. Um, a typical Sunday, Saturday lunchtime scene might play out like this. You know, Mum would shout up the stairs, lunch is ready, I'm serving, you know, just coming, I'd reply as I continue to finish the level of the video game that I'm currently playing. It's on the table, yeah, yeah, coming, coming, as I step into the shower. It's getting cold. Yeah, yeah, I'm just coming. I'm sorry, I'll be right there. As I dry myself off, as I brush my teeth, as I moisturize my face, as I put my clothes on, as I eventually hurry downstairs. Sorry, I know I'm five, 35 minutes late. And oh, why is my plate empty? And who's that bedraggled looking person getting up from my place at the table with his, you know, wiping his mouth with my napkin? Okay, that last bit didn't actually happen. Um, but perhaps, it, you know, should I have been that shocked if mum had said, right, if my son is not going to make the effort to come to dinner when I've told him, give him one in advance when it's going to be served, I'm just going to invite someone else in who could benefit from that meal much more than him. But my mum was fortunately, for me anyway, far more tolerant and forgiving of my laziness, busyness, inconsiderateness than she needed to be. Um, but, you know, what about when we're offered the really big, important things in life? And yet, we're just too caught up in, yeah, but I've got these other little things to do and kind of stuff. It's, can you really afford to ignore the big things in life that perhaps we don't want to think are that big and somehow justify our actions by saying, I'm just too busy right now to deal with that or got something else going on? 
You know, it's easy to overanalyze this parable, focusing on the reasons why the guests rejected the original invitation. But the real message of the parable is who the host then invites to the banquet. We've just finished the sermon series looking at outsiders coming to God. And I think it's quite fitting that we're kicking off this new series with this parable, because it acts as kind of a bridge to this new sermon series. The poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, those who are on the margins of society, those who wouldn't have dreamt of ever being invited to the house of a prominent Pharisee for dinner, the outsiders. This was to whom the invitation to the kingdom of God was being made. What happens is that those who rejected the invitation were eventually left out of the banquet and were replaced. Their seat was taken. Now, don't assume that if you don't respond to God's offer of salvation now, that you'll be able to respond later. There is no guarantee that that is the case. A missed celebration is one that is missed forever. Similarly, I think Jesus' invitation to us is not without an expiration date. We must respond to salvation when the opportunity arises. And yet, thankfully, here we are all in church today, hopefully having felt that we've responded to God's invitation. But I think there's another aspect to this parable that speaks to us today and takes on a new meaning, perhaps, is one we should really take away this morning. You know, the poor, the lame, the crippled, the blind are actively sought out. They don't just randomly wander in from the streets and from the countryside and the lanes. They are reached out to. They are almost compelled to accept the invitation. The poor and oppressed among the Jewish people are in view, but also so the Gentiles. We are like the servants in the parable, and we have a calling to bring a marvelous message of invitation and acceptance and forgiveness. And we've got to take that role seriously and urge the invitation wherever we are. No, this is not a take-it-or-leave-it task. It's a mission, a mission of the host, God. And we've got to fulfill it. If God is compelling you to do something, whether he's calling you to salvation or calling you to specific work, can you really afford to reject that invitation? I think it's true to say that in the feeble excuses of the original guests to the great banquet, I can often hear my own excuses for not doing what I think God's telling me to do. I just think, I'm too busy, God, or I haven't the time right now, or I'll talk to my friend about you earlier. I know it's a missed opportunity, it was perfect, but another time. Um, I'm actually doing something really worthy, God, so it's fine not to bother with this evangelism stuff because it, it all balances out. We may be able to try and convince ourselves that what we're doing is noble or right, but I'm afraid that in some way, Every excuse like that is an insult to God. It's so easy just to want to deal with the little things in life, the things which aren't uncomfortable, the things which don't revolve, involve a huge reaction, response, transformation in our lives. We can make these little things seem so essential to be done that we just keep ignoring all the big stuff. So a little visual illustration to show you. Imagine this is our life. 
These are the little things in life. And these are the big things in life. So big that they want to get away from me. Can I fit both the big things and the little things in my life or into my life? If I'm just focusing on the little things, first of all. That's easy. There, we get them done. In it goes. Oh, I'm actually quite enjoying it. Fantastic. Now I've got those out of the way. Now I can properly devote myself to trying to fit all of the big things. It, it's, it doesn't fit. I can't get the big things to fit in my life if I just focus on the little stuff, first of all. Do I need to try again? And so, I go back to the start. It'd be great if life could actually reset just like this sometimes, wouldn't it? Um, question to the teachers out there. Is what I'm doing a parable? I don't think it is, isn't it? Debate <laughs> amongst yourselves if this is a metaphor or simile. In my life, if I really want to do what God's calling me to do, I need to look at the big things first of all. The stuff I need to get right with God. The stuff I need to say... I know God's calling me to do something important. And I know it feels difficult and challenging, but I just can't do it. Well, maybe if I spend a bit of time just focusing on the big thing, asking God for his help, and he'll help me. And when the big things in your life get taken care of, it makes getting taking care of the little things so much easier. That it, your life just fits. Goodness, that worked. <laughs> Not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. There's no second chance, says God. We don't get to say, Not today, God. I'll see if I can accept your invitation another day. You know, we've already been given a second chance. We don't need any more. The anonymous guest at the dinner, I think, actually says possibly the most important words of the passage. Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. How true is that? It's just not who he expected it to be. But will it include you? During Lent, we often talk about journeying with Jesus as his ministry builds towards its climax in Jerusalem at Easter. And so, in this month, as we look at these different parables of Jesus, the way he was explaining something about the kingdom of God to the people who listened, let's journey with Jesus. Let's explore why he told a certain parable. Let's think about the message it was conveying. And let's consider what it means to us today.